0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Every Square Inch. This is the uh, long-form thought content outlet for um, our ministry, Christ for Kentucky. We just completed a two-part series on the meaning behind the name of Christ for Kentucky and our uh, mission, public theology and strategy for the common good of the common wealth where we explained in detail essentially who we are and what we do if you didn't catch those be sure to go back and listen to them Uh, to those who did listen and have reached out with what has really been overwhelming encouragement thank you so much i mean that thank you and i will do my best to respond to all of those messages but in light of that let me take a moment for some housekeeping details Uh, here at the beginning of this episode before we get into this week's topic. First, let me share the best way to offer your comments, questions, um, and requests going forward. The worst way is to reach out on social media, particularly Facebook. If you send me a Facebook message on my personal page, it could literally be weeks before I see it. uh, Because that's how inactive I am on that platform. I check it occasionally, but not often. Now, our organization's Facebook page is active, and we will be posting our content there as well as responding to uh, messages and questions. So please be sure to like and follow our Christ for Kentucky Facebook page. Also, Christ for Kentucky is on Instagram, so follow us there too. And then I am most active on Twitter, and you can follow and message me there personally. My uh, Twitter handle is Robert C4KY. Robert C uh, the number 4KY. And I'm fairly active there. It kind it kind of comes and goes. Um, but you can you can find me there. Uh, but more than social media, reach out to us via email. My email address, and if you are um, if you know me or friends with me, uh, you can update your email for me. My new email address is Robert at Christ4KY.org christforky.org um, so i'm going to be slowly transitioning all my emailing to that and you can reach out there but even better our website which is christforky.org christ for f o r k y.org there's a contact page if you will fill that form out then your comments and questions will get bumped up to the top of our list and on that same page there is also a speaking request form Uh, I obviously do have more space for speaking and uh, preaching in my new role, but let me explain how uh, we're filtering those opportunities. If your church or organization fits within the mission of Christ for Kentucky, which obviously means you are a church or organization within Kentucky, and if the occasion fits kind of our greater mission— Um, then number one, that request gets prioritized, and number two, that is available uh, at no charge. You are welcome to make a donation to our organization or offer an honorarium, but there is no fee for churches, organizations, conferences within Kentucky. That is literally a part of our organization's mission, so we do that free of charge. Now, on a limited basis, I'm available to speak outside Kentucky. Uh, In fact, I just got back from Tucson, Arizona. Shout out to my new Tucson friends. I'm sure you're enjoying your perfect weather out there. Uh, I just got back from Tucson speaking at a conference on uh, human sexuality. And so I am willing to consider those requests, but they are limited so that I can give my focus to Kentucky. But yes, you can fill out the speaking request form on the website. Those requests will get reviewed by our board of advisors for approval. And there is a fee structure for requests outside Kentucky. If I'm going to be traveling away from my family, I uh, do ask to be compensated for that. Now, the most common question I'm receiving is regarding support for our organization. I haven't even talked about that in the first two episodes intentionally. So let me be really transparent about our funding. There are a handful of very generous donors who sacrificially gave in order to get Christ for Kentucky off the ground. But those startup donations cannot sustain us for the whole year, so we do need to start building a base of support. I am determined not to monetize our content. Um, The number of listeners to this podcast, uh, for example, is large enough. I mean, it's not crazy big, but it's definitely large enough to... Uh, do some advertising and things like that. But we don't want to get into that game, nor do we want our uh, writings to be behind paywalls or charge for speaking consulting fees within Kentucky. We want to offer our content and services for free, but we do have to pay bills. (laughs) And so uh, my request is that if our content and ministry has been a blessing to you, and you want to support our work as a blessing to others, then join our support team. On our website, Christ for Kentucky or ChristForKY.org, there is an easy place to do that. You can give a one-time gift, but what I would really appreciate is that you sign up automatically to just give every month. My only caveat is that uh, this would be above and beyond your financial uh, support of your local church. Give first to your church, and then we would love for you to support our work as well. Now, if you're a person blessed with what I call uh, the precarious gift of wealth, precarious because if not stewarded well, your wealth can be very destructive, as the Bible warns, but a gift because if you live out sacrificial generosity as the Bible commands, then your wealth becomes a blessing to you and many others. If you are someone who would like to make a significant donation that would really set us free to do our work, I want you to know that we are able to receive complex gifts, you know, stock Um, real estate, donations from your donor advisory funds, and so forth, you can reach out to me personally to discuss those options. I'm also looking for partnering churches and organizations. If you are a church or even um, an organization that wants to support our work, I would love to come meet with you uh, to discuss partnership opportunities. Okay, Uh, thanks for bearing with me through all those housekeeping details uh, that I needed to communicate. I promise I will not use every episode to raise support, but I did feel like I'm getting a lot of questions, and I needed to um, fill people in on some of those details. All right, now let's get to this week's topic. So I recorded two episodes that outlined the name and mission of our organization. But I think it would be also helpful to record some follow-up episodes to explain some of the, I guess you could say, philosophical and theological foundations to our ministry's work. So now that I've explained it, I suppose I feel the need, not necessarily to defend it, but at least to offer a thoughtful, uh, apologetic for why we believe what we believe and are going to be doing what we are going to be doing. Essentially... I'm anticipating some well meaning questions that might come my way and kind of preemptively answer those on the podcast. And the first thing I want to address in this episode is the emphasis that we do have as an organization on social change itself. Speaking candidly, the idea of social justice has become so contentious within our society and evangelical Christianity, particularly that any emphasis on social change, making the world a better place, works of justice and mercy, sadly, this talk now opens you up to the dreaded social justice warrior accusation and, and the even more insidious uh, social gospel critique. And what do I mean by social gospel? Well, that depends. It's, a, it's actually a theological movement dating uh, back to the 19th century. But the term social gospel has in many ways morphed into kind of a catch-all term for uh, a Christian emphasis on works of justice and mercy in the world around us. Now, if you're an outsider looking in on Christianity, you might say, are there people who actually think it's a bad thing for Christians to be doing good deeds in the world, to be trying to make the world a better place? Isn't that what Christianity is all about? Fair enough. It is kind of a laughable discussion when you think about it, But let me be as charitable as I can toward those with concerns over this notion of social justice within Christianity. And the concern, which is a valid concern, is that statement, isn't that what Christianity is all about? My answer is yes and no. Christianity is all about good deeds in this world, but it matters. It uniquely matters the motivation behind those good deeds. You see, ours is the only religion that argues salvation does not come by doing good deeds. Every conventional religious concept is really the same. There are tenets to believe and rules to follow, and if you are faithful in those beliefs and practices, you will be rewarded with some form of salvation. The particularities of what is expected and what is rewarded will vary depending upon the religion, but that's That's the basic religious formula for conventional religions, except for one. Only Christianity claims that salvation is not achieved by our good works, but by the work of our Savior. Jesus lives the perfect life we should have lived. He dies the condemnable death that we deserve to die, and then he gives his life and death to us as a free gift. We do nothing to earn our salvation. Jesus does everything required, and by trusting in Jesus, we receive, not perform, we receive our salvation. And this is why good deeds in this life are more complicated for Christians than other religions. I know it seems strange to outsiders that we would argue over whether we should be doing good in the world around us, and in many ways it is needlessly strange. But such is the complicated relationship that Christians have with good deeds. And it's been there really since Christianity's origins. Already in the New Testament, you have the Apostle Paul passionately arguing against any hint of salvation by our own good works, anything threatening that core Christian conviction that our salvation is by grace through the work of Jesus alone and not by the merit of our good works. Anything threatening that core conviction, Paul fiercely opposes. But then you have James, who's emphasizing the necessity of good works. His famous conclusion is that faith without works is dead faith. Meaning, if you claim to have faith in Jesus, but that faith is not manifested externally in good deeds, then it is right to conclude that faith in Jesus is not actually alive and active. Now, evangelicals absolutely believe that, but they tend to interpret works that faith, that alive faith produces as personal piety. So I'm saying no to sin more and more, and I'm saying yes to righteousness more and more. I'm repenting. Um, I'm reading my Bible. I'm praying to God. I'm going to church. This is the fruit of someone who has a genuine, alive faith in Jesus. And indeed, this is absolutely true. But what's interesting about good works, according to James, and candidly, according to Jesus, when he speaks of the fruit that he will examine in the final judgment, Jesus is not going to ask, do you have faith in me? He's going to look at your life and survey the fruit and see if there's active faith playing out. Well, what's interesting about James and, and Jesus, too, is that the emphasis of those works is, is social concerns. James says, care of widow and orphan. This is pure religion. Jesus says, feeding the poor, caring for the sick and in prison, welcoming the stranger. Uh, whatever you do to the least of these, you have done to me. So the good deeds that true faith in Jesus produces, yes, of course, is our own personal holiness. But also there's this emphasis on works of justice and mercy. Now, this seemingly complicated relationship between Paul and James is actually not very complicated. It is easily resolved in Scripture by simply observing the order in which good deeds are spoken of. They proceed from salvation rather than precede salvation. Christian virtue and good deeds are the fruit of salvation, not the root of salvation. We are saved by faith alone in Jesus and that faith is never alone. It always produces these good works. And that order matters a lot in guarding the purity of our gospel message. This is why there are legitimate concerns about the notion of a social gospel. In its worst forms, it teaches that we are saved by our good social deeds in this world. In its more watered-down version, it's the assumption that what it means to be a Christian is to be a good person who does good things for other people. That's not true. A Christian is one who confesses they are not good, they cannot do enough good to ever justify themselves before God, and their only hope is in the vicarious salvation offered in Jesus alone. So I am sympathetic to those concerns. And yet, honestly, I have a greater concern. And my greater concern is that in our zeal to protect against the social gospel, we neglect the fact that the gospel is social. Is Christ for Kentucky a social gospel organization? No. In the strongest terms possible, no, it is not. But we are a gospel social organization. Just flip the wording, and you are on solid biblical ground. And frankly, for my tradition, Protestant evangelicalism— The fact that gospel is social is what we tend to neglect. I was reading a fascinating passage today in my readings um, from Acts 5. This, of course, is when the New Testament church begins to emerge, come onto the scene, and it says this in verse 14. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. Now, evangelicals love that. Evangelism, conversion, revival, the Lord adding to the number of those who are being saved. This, we say, is the power of the gospel as indeed it is. But it's interesting what immediately happens next in verse 15. Then says, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. Don't get hung up By the uniqueness of apostolic power and authority that was taking place there in Acts. Then it says, the people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted, and they were all healed. Now I ask you, is that the work of the gospel too? Is it just the verse where it says, many were converted and added to their number? Or is it that the revival overflowed into social renewal and healing in the surrounding area? The answer is yes. Both are a part of the Christian gospel. And to emphasize one at the exclusion of the other is its own form of compromise. And again, in my tradition, the evangelical tradition, if, if I was coming from another tradition, if we weren't an evangelical organization, I would come at this differently. But in my tradition— our compromise tends to be on the social implications of the gospel. We emphasize evangelism, as well we should, but tend to neglect or even ignore the demands of justice and mercy in our communities, at least in some areas. That's, probably, that's, that's unfair. For, for example, evangelicals give more energy and money toward uh, justice for the unborn and orphans than any other demographic. So, of course, there are exceptions, but we, if we have a gospel blind spot, it's the social outworking horizon of the gospel. And ironically, that compromise is actually counterproductive to evangelism itself. Historically speaking, the greatest apologetic to the Christian faith has been the lies of Christians themselves. It's not been our arguments and our debates. It's been our work in the world. People want to follow the Savior whose following is fixing the world. But even viewing justice and mercy as a means of evangelism is problematic, as if to say, yeah, yeah, of course, we feed the poor, we do good things so that we can evangelize. That itself is problematic. Good deeds are not means to a greater end. They are virtuous unto themselves. In fact, if anything, it goes the other way evangelism is a means that serves justice in our world. We don't evangelize to get people to heaven. We evangelize to invite people to join our kingdom cause here on earth. And yes, of course, they are reconciled to God and they get to go to heaven or they're included in the new heavens and the new earth when heaven comes down. Now listen, the reason why I'm spending so much time nuancing all this out is to just make sure from the beginning that people understand where our organization is coming from, that our organization is determined to hold together what Christians tend to try to separate. We are going to be explicitly evangelistic. We are going to be hosting regular events for those who are skeptics and seekers or flat out antagonistic to the Christian faith. We are gonna invite our friends to come and investigate Jesus and yes, we are going to try to convert them to Jesus because we believe that Jesus is the exclusive way of salvation. And that may make my more progressive friends uncomfortable. And we are going to be working really hard at social justice in Kentucky, prioritizing the needs of the vulnerable, the poor, the outcast, the voiceless within our state. If you want to call me a social justice warrior for that, I'm fine with that, honestly, because I do want to be a warrior for justice, and that may make my more conservative friends uncomfortable. But this is our commitment, because the gospel is our commitment, not the social gospel, but the gospel that absolutely is social. Okay, thanks so much for listening. By the way, another way to support our work, in addition to your donations, is to share our content with others, especially if you're within the state of Kentucky. Uh, Subscribe to our content, like it, rate it, leave us a review. All of that helps in spreading our work, and we will return next week for another episode of Every Square Inch.